Colin and Shannon with you to uh, end the week. A reflection on uh, the Toronto Blue Jays as we approach the All-Star uh, break um, and discuss a managerial change that preceded it and the not just the impact of that, but the reasons for the managerial change. And then subsequently, what does the team have to do on the field? <laughs> and that get more than get more than seven hits like they did last night. Well, yeah. And uh, they got last time they got pitching, they got no hitting. Uh, some nights they get hitting, they got no pitching. So um, uh, we'll address all of those uh, situations and try and dissect where the Blue Jays might be going heading to the second half of the year. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet will join us after these messages. We are back. I'm McCowan. Shannon with you. Shai Davidi of uh, Sportsnet uh, joins us. Well, we haven't had a chance to chat since this uh, managerial change happened. Um, as Mr. Shannon will confirm, he won't alert you, but he'll confirm, um, just the day before the decision was made to make a managerial change, we had a conversation about the possibility simply because historically, as you would well document, um, this is the kind of thing that happens when a team is struggling. And it may not be the specific reason for it. There are generally other reasons, but we actually talked about, well, how long before the manager gets moved here? How you're much closer to this situation, obviously, than either of us are. How surprised were you? I wasn't surprised that it happened. Uh, the timing maybe um, was was a little bit unexpected. You know, I thought this would probably happen around the all-star break, um, you know, at some point during that time, uh, just because of what circumstances had been uh, around, you know, the, the team having to attend Julia Budzinski's funeral and just coping with a lot of the trauma that the group had been through over that, uh, you know, some of the, the real life things that were going on as opposed to just the baseball things. But, you know, it, it really felt as if things had soured to to the point during that road trip through Oakland and Seattle that, um, you know, breaking point was nearing. And so, you know, I wasn't terribly surprised that, that a move had been made, but I thought it might just, you know, they might just let it run until the all-star break and make a move then. What was the, if you can point to something, did you have a sense that he had lost this team? I don't know if that, you know, he had lost this team is the way I would put it. What I would say is that, you know, just a lot of, there were, just had been a lot of frustration building up over a lot of different things. And he became obviously a bit of a focal point as the manager, as the leader. And he's the one thing that's easiest to change and, and make an adjustment. Uh, but, you know, you know, I do feel like, you know, when, you know, Bo Bichette told me that, you know, we felt like we needed something to push us forward um, and that he didn't dis disagree with the decision that management made, you know, it's telling you that, you know, there was at least an openness to this uh, from, from players. And so, you know, it, it just, what I would just say is that, you know, in any relationship, I guess, baggage accumulates in a number of different ways. Uh, and this was the easiest baggage to remove from the scenario. You think there was um, uh, also a difference in the relationship between Montoyo and, and management? And, and, and was there a comparison of his relationship with the players and his, and his relationship with Ross and, and the front office? Well, you know, the way that I would say is that, you know, clearly in the public messaging that both the players and Charlie Montoya had over uh, the past couple of weeks, you know, they were saying different things about the same issues. And, you know, where Charlie Montoya was continually maintaining his trademark optimism and, you know, his, his belief that, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, a corner is going to be turned and faith and positivity. You know, you heard players talking about things like, you know, not asking questions about why that, why, why things weren't happening and just make, focusing on playing and, you know, 
players pulling together as a group and supporting one another. And, you know, I think that was significant, you know, now I, I do think that, that you know, you, you can look at some of the, the moves. I mean, if I, if I'm Charlie Montoya, I'm looking at some of the moves the front office was making, you know, a waiver claim for Anthony Bonda, you know, waiver claim, waiver claim for like Matt Peacock, you can sort of say, well, tell me you want to fire me without telling me you want to fire me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of there trying to work with what the front office is providing him. And, you know, he's saying, well, we just don't have enough pitching. Everything's on pitching. And, you know, I just think that there was, you know, some divergence there, but, uh, you know, we always try to look for one thing and sort of say, like, you know, put, put sort of a bow on things. I just think there were a lot of different dynamics at play that brought it to this point. Well, it sounds to me, to be honest, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like this was not quite a player's revolt, but clearly the players were probably pushing for this change. Probably there were discussions between the front office, between the general manager and several players, at least key players, and that Charlie did not get the player's defense. Well, it was really interesting to hear Ross Atkins say that he hadn't that he hadn't directly consulted players and that this was a decision that you know can't be made collaboratively right you can't allow the inmates to run the asylum but <laughs> it gets to a point where you know things aren't running properly and so at that point you know whose fault is that is that personnel or is that the manager or you know the and again if it's not if it's not personnel uh, or if it is personnel, you can't change the entire roster. You know, I don't think this was a situation where, you know, one or two roster moves uh, were going to fix everything. At least that seemed to be the, you know, what Ross Atkins was implying. Um, You know, I don't know that they were driving this, but ultimately player performance is what drives this. And if you look at the lapses that this team has had on the field and, you know, not just this year, even dating back to last year, you know, how many games slip away, you know, I think that is what, you know, forces your hand, you know, is it, is it, you know, an executive once told me um, the challenges for any executive is deter in a, in a clubhouse is determining, you know, what is a real problem and what is just, the griping that occurs in real life. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there, there might've been some of that trying to kind of weigh what's, what's the griping and what's, what's real life. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, you know, I do think there are some players who were upset about it. Uh, and I do think there's some players who felt change was necessary. It's funny you, you, when 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 you mentioned about Ross saying the players weren't directly asked. That, I heard when I heard that I thought, oh, here come the agents. That's a, <laughs> that's the first thing, and, and and we're seeing that not just in baseball. We're seeing that in every sport is the role of you know these consigliaries to say, hey, listen, you know, you got an issue, you know. And so yeah, the players weren't directly involved. <laughs> I mean, look, if you're a general manager and you don't know what your players are thinking, then you're not doing your job right now. It doesn't mean that he would have gone through the clubhouse and ran a poll and said, Hey, should I do that? Because, you know, you're, you're definitely not going to sort of relegate your, your decision-making to, to, to your players or to essentially your subordinates. But, you know, you have to have a pulse on, on the clubhouse and, you know, clearly he would have gotten that, be it from players directly, from their agents, from the observations of other people around the clubhouse. Yeah. You know, the, there there are a lot of ways to kind of get a get a pulse on things, and I'm sure all of them contributed to this. You've been around long enough to see, well, more than a, a couple of managers for this organization. The most recent being Gibby, and I think we we would suggest that Gibby's personality was dramatically different mm-hmm. uh, from Charlie's. Um, Gibby didn't put up with a whole lot. Uh, Gibby wasn't afraid of anybody. Gibby 
you know, wasn't inclined to spend an inordinate amount of time patting guys on the back and defending guys. He had a real sense of humor uh, about things. Um, was his personality, Gibby's personality, dramatically different from Charlie's? And was that, could that possibly have been um, a significant part of the reason for this? Well, I mean, I don't think they're looking for, for Gibby right now. Uh, you know, that they clearly turned away from John Gibbons for uh, a number of reasons. And they, you know, this front office and John Gibbons, there was some oil and water there, right? Yeah, but and Gibby would fight. That's my point. A hundred percent. Gibby wouldn't back down. Gibby, if, if somebody said you'd do this and Gibby didn't believe him, he'd say, no, screw you. I'm not going to do it. Look, I do think Charlie had some of that in him too. Do you? But I think the natural, you know, the natural disposition for Charlie is understanding, empathy, support, positivity, mm -hmm. right? Whereas, you know, for Gibby, there is a little bit more competitiveness to him. Like he was not, you know, a sunshine and lollipops guy. Exactly. Uh, and and not that Charlie was, but or, or solely that. But I think that his natural fallback was, you know, let's try to find the bright side in things. And, you know, that's partly because of his backstory and his history and, sure. and everything that he's been through. And, you know, for a team that was going to go through a 95 loss beatdown in 2019, the way this club did, you know, they probably needed more Charlie than, you know, fire and brimstone from Gibby at that point. The, you know, but over time, expectations for this team changed and, you know, Charlie had to change or the, the needs from the manager's office need to change too. Uh, and maybe, and maybe Charlie didn't adapt fast enough or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I, I just think that, yes, they're completely different personalities, uh, but, you know, they were hired under completely different circumstances and, you know, maybe maybe Charlie just didn't evolve uh, as quickly enough uh, as the needs of the team did. When you're around a team, um, batting practice is an interesting thing. And I, I used to I used to devote as much time as I possibly could to going to batting practice. So, I mean, as you know, sometimes there are nobody in the stands. Sometimes there are a handful of people in the stands. And while they may be looking at batting practice, they look at it, I think, far differently than I ever did. And I don't know about you, but they look for, you know, where's the guy hitting it? How's he hitting? Blah, blah, blah. I was never really interested in, in watching the players hit. I was more interested in watching the manager who generally stands behind the cage and the kind of interactions that go on. And, you, you know, kind of like a, I kind of felt like a spy sometimes because that it gave you a sense of the, of what's going on, not fully, but the sense and, and the, what the relationship was like. You're there almost every day for BP. You stand there. Um, what was your sense? Give us the difference between these, these last two managers, for example, Gibby and Montoyo. What was the difference at BP? Uh, you know, I don't know, necessarily know there was a huge difference uh, I get in the dynamic there. What I would say the biggest difference is that over that time, a lot of BP has really moved from the stuff on the field to what happens in the cages uh, with, you know, the eye pitch machines, the high, high velocity machines, and, you know, the different tools that they use. You know, there are players who do a lot more work in the cage now, and some sure. of them don't really do much on the field. They, they don't necessarily hit every day, uh, partly due to workload management and partly because, you know, I, I don't know that they believe, believe that that's as essential as some of the other practices. But, you know, Gibby would always joke about, uh, I got to go lean on, I got to go do my lean in uh, when it was time for BP and he'd sit on the cage. Uh, oftentimes just, you know, chatting with, uh, you know, the hitting coach uh, or, you know, whoever was beside him. Uh, and, and Charlie Montoyo similarly did that. And, you know, you'd see him interacting with players at different times when the infielders, uh, we're doing their do their pregame drills, uh, you know, off the off the off the machines to, to take ground balls. You know, Charlie's there taking the taking the flips from the players and overseeing that. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that it was drastically different, uh, but certainly the circumstances around it are are drastically different.
Was Charlie a, a, a modern day manager? Was he old, Was there a little old school? Uh, both, right? Like yeah. he was. He was there uh, when for that initial conversation with the Tampa Bay Rays when they deployed an opener for the first time, and uh, you know he was fully supportive of the Blue Jays delve into you know intense shifting this year, uh, where you know they're doing it more than any other team in the majors. Uh, but you know he also like to bunt uh, maybe uh, far more than a lot of people uh, wanted him to at times. Right. So, you know, it was definitely a, a bit of a mix there. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to exist within the Rays organization for as long as he did, uh, you have to be able to embrace, you know, some of the new school because otherwise you're going to get drummed out of that system pretty quick. Do you believe, do you believe Ross that, uh, that this was long time in coming as opposed to uh, a knee jerk to the end of the road trip? I mean, you can't just make a snap decision on this, right? And, uh, you know, I, I wondered, you know, during that Chicago-Milwaukee road trip, if it was going to happen then, uh, and, and it didn't end up happening at that point. But it felt like maybe that might be a time that they can make a change. You know, I guess they decided to kind of circle back one more time, see if, uh, see if they could get on another hot streak. Uh, and you know maybe they they would have uh, you know they'd taken two of three from the from the Red Sox they took the first two against the Rays you know then the tragedy hit uh, with um, you know Mark Budzinski losing his daughter they dropped three straight to the Rays and, and sort of just collapse in on themselves and you know I think the you know if you're looking at this you could you could say the Blue Jays you know their talent their level of talent will mask a lot of things and and maybe it did for different points. But the cyclical nature of the ups and downs, you know, that's that's a worrying sign. And so, you know, I think at that point, you know, with uh, with a good amount of evidence, you could say, all right, well, maybe we got to do something different to stabilize the, the level of performance here. Uh, but you know, some of this needs to fall on you know Ross Atkins too, because you know they extended him three and a half months ago, and. You know, if you didn't see then what you saw in the three and a half months since, you know, well, what did you miss? Because, you know, Charlie Montoya didn't suddenly become a different person. Well, you know, I have, I have a philosophy on that too. And now we've seen, we see it over and over and over again in sports. You know, if you're a general manager who feels the pressure is coming, um, you get rid of your coach and it diverts the pressure from you to, the suggestion that it was the coach, or in this case, the manager, who. But you you get rid of your line. buffer quickly, Bob. You get mm -hmm. rid you know you get rid of that buffer, so you know if if this team goes downhill from here, this is not on John Schneider. This is on Ross now. Well, I think it's clearly on Ross, but I wonder whether Ross was getting any getting pressure from above him, and we all react, you know, when we're told that the performance is unacceptable and you know, whether he, his job was in danger or not, I don't think any of us know, but if you if you sense that your job might be in danger, one of the ways to at least delay, if it's inevitable, the inevitable is by making a move with your manager. I want to talk a little bit about a guy I know nothing about really. And that's John Schneider, other than he's been in the organization and they obviously have liked him and he's done a good job wherever he's been. Um, how different is he than Charlie? Do you know? Uh, he's different in a number of ways, right? You know, where, you know, Charlie was sort of more reserved and uh, maybe a bit quieter and, uh, you know, a bit more, you know, everybody, you know, like, like trusting in everybody to sort of do their part. You know, I think John Schneider is definitely a bigger personality, uh, definitely a bigger presence. He's bigger. Uh, he's also bigger. <laughs> physically bigger. Uh, uh, maybe a bit more fire and brimstone than Charlie. You know, I think that, you know, we'll probably see him getting after umpires, for instance, in a bit of a different way. Um, but I, he's also a guy who he's very, he's been very active in every realm of the organization. So, you know, I think he a lot. There are a lot of ideas that have been coming from him, or either been very you know highly supported by him. You know, he's he's going to 
when necessary. I think getting getting to people's faces, although that's going to be a transition for him going for coming from a role where, you know, you, you could sort of be everybody's friend to now when he's not going to be able to do that anymore. Uh, but we've also, you know, already it's just been a couple games, but we've already seen some subtle ways where, you know, he's going to be maybe a bit more aggressive. We saw him, you know, hit and run. We've seen him try to be active on the base paths. Uh, we've seen him uh, convince Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, uh, uh to buy into a, a, a rejigged lineup combination with Bichette second, and, oh, excuse me, uh, Guerrero second and, you know, Bichette fourth. Um, we've seen, uh, we, we saw him, you know, pinch hit for see, Santiago Espinal in a key spot in the ninth inning uh, on Thursday, which is not necessarily something that, Charlie would have done. So, you know, I think we're, we're starting to see some, some differences in a number of different ways. It also, it also didn't bring Jordan Romano in, in the ninth, not that that was going to make a difference against Kansas city, but uh, that was those are interesting little strategy changes that probably wouldn't have been on Charlie's card. Correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, with that Romano one, you know, I think, he he was up just in case the Blue Jays cashed in a pair there in the eighth. Um, otherwise, you were going to try to save him for a situation where it's tied or 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 they were ahead. Um, but you know, I, even just using using Bonda, it, that's a guy that you know Charlie had ample opportunities to use and really only really only put in, uh, in, in sort of mop-up situations. Hmm. So, and then they used him as the opener and that didn't go very well. So, you know, I think, uh, I think that that's another, another difference that, that we've seen already. How much of a gold star for Schneider was it that, um, he had a few of these guys in New Hampshire? Uh, significant. Look, there, there are relationships there. Uh, and, there are, you know, a lot of the key players on this team will know what Schneider is going to expect of them. They'll know how he'll handle different situations. Uh, there isn't going to be some of that guesswork. Um, but, you know, there are other players who don't know him as well, and he's going to have to win them over as well. So, you, you know, I, I think that that helped. It wasn't necessarily the determining factor, but, I mean, he's been in the organization for a long time, both as a player and, you know, later as, as a manager, minor league manager, he's established a lot of cachet. He's certainly invested uh, in this organization and, you know, you know, circumstances aside, you know, it's the type of story that you like to see where, you know, somebody who's really been part of the organization on a number of different levels ends up, you know, being put in a position of responsibility for that franchise. I want to address the potentially problematic scenario that Schneider faces. And you sort of addressed it. You know, when you're, when you're 1A, as he has been, the kind of relationship you have with the players is, tends to be more social, more of a friend, more of an encourager, less of a disciplinarian, less of a boss kind of guy. You're a kind of middle management, if you will. You know, and players know, well, you don't have all that much power. You, you know, I, I can talk to you, but I don't have to really worry about um, what I say. Now that changes completely. And I'm wondering whether you think that is healthy, that that is a, a good scenario moving forward for this team who have, I granted, less than half a season, but almost half a season in order to get their crap together and try and get into the postseason. Do you think yeah. this is the the uh, a preferable way to go rather than reaching outside? I mean, that that's tough to say, right? Because it it all depends on whether this goes well. I think one of the you know rather than sort of bringing in someone new uh, from outside to kind of parachute into the situation, I mean, it's really tough to do that in the middle of the season when you're trying to win. And that, you know, I think if you're if you're doing this, you want some continuity. Um, but uh, you know, the, there there is going to be sort of one different set of eyes, uh, albeit another one who people are familiar with in, in Casey Candell, and he's someone who has the respect of 
a lot of players in that clubhouse who have, you know, been touched by him on on their way up to the big leagues. Uh, So I do think that they have that element in in the mix as well. But I think think for Schneider, I mean, he knows what the issues are. He knows what players need to hear. He's been there. He understands more intimately than any of us um, the circumstances that led that have led to the season playing out the way that it has. And so, you know, I guess you can look at it as you, you want somebody who's able to come in and hit the ground running as opposed to uh, someone who's going to have to come in and spend, you know, a few weeks uh, trying to get a lay of the land like that, that, that's a tough spot too. So, you know, ultimately whether how the players respond will determine whether that makes sense or not. But, you know, I think if you're just looking at it in a vacuum, you know, you probably do want someone who it knows exactly what the different pressure points are and what you have to clean up um, and doesn't have to spend a ton of time sort of identifying the problems, but can get right at the solutions immediately. I'm just curious, when, when Schneider joined Charlie's staff, um, was that an organizational decision or was that Charlie's decision? Look, I mean, I think any time that, you know, a bench coach and a, and a coach don't really know each other, they end up on a staff together. It's clear that, you know, the organization wanted that to some degree. And, you know, he, you know, Schneider had started as, you know, sort of an extra coach and then sort of grew in responsibility uh, over time. Uh, you know, there was a period where, you know, Dave Hudgens was the bench coach and, you know, they, he, they, he and Schneider essentially swapped out over time. Uh, so, you know, the, I, the, the term that I think you, you asked Ross Atkins about this, you say, oh, well, that selection of coaches was a collaborative process. <laughs> um, you know, the, the game has changed where, you know, the coaches no longer get to just hire a bunch of their buddies before. Uh, and this coaching staff, you know, definitely had a lot of front office fingerprints, but I do also feel that, you know, Charlie Montoyo's experience uh, being a triple A for as long as he was, you know, he wanted to make sure the coaches in the system felt valued and heard. Uh, that was something that was even, even to his you know, final weekend uh, in Seattle uh, when, you know, the Vancouver Canadians manager, Brent Lavallee, uh, he was up with, uh, he, he was up with, uh, the Blue Jays, Charlie Mateo said, you know, come on down. Um, you know, he, Lavely was on his weekend off that mm-hmm. the, the Blue Jays give all their minor league managers. And so, you know, Charlie said, if, if you want to come, come spend the weekend with the, the big team in Seattle. And, you know, that was sort of a part of that process, but, you know, I, I would say that the organization certainly had a lot of their fingerprints in Schneider being on that staff. Uh, and, you know, Charlie, uh, Charlie Montoyo, you know, probably had a little bit of leeway to say, you know, maybe not this guy, or I prefer that guy, but, you know, ultimately that was a decision that was come to together, not individually. Uh, we're with Shai Davidi. We'll uh, take the break. We'll come back. We'll chat some more back after this. Shai Davidi of uh, Sportsnet is with us. It's McCowan and Shannon. We're uh, addressing the Blue Jays situation um, so far, specifically about the managerial change that happened this week. But let's get off of that maybe a little bit more and try and address where this team actually is at uh, the All-Star break and how much, how much work Ross Atkins has to do in order to make this team anywhere near competitive. Um, clearly, Atkins made significant moves during the offseason. Clearly, everybody was encouraged by the start, the potential of the starting rotation. But what we learned very quickly, we learned a lot of things, but we learned that Ryu's history of breaking down wasn't fixed, not that it could have been. We learned that Kikuchi, the guy they brought in from Seattle to be the number five starter, doesn't look like he's capable of being that guy. But what we learned, I think, more importantly, or at least I did, was the lack of depth in starting pitching in the organization. Because when you went down, you had Stripling, and you always knew you had him as a potential. And he's been, I think you'd agree, Shy, he's been 
as good or better than you could have possibly imagined. Yeah, he can't get enough credit for what he's done. Correct. Without a doubt. Right. But we all know you need seven, eight, nine, ten starting pitchers. General managers know that. Fans know that. Who's number seven? Who was number seven at the beginning of the year? And who is number seven now? And I do not know the answer to that, and which means there isn't one. And they had to know that going into the season, did they not? Well, I would say going into the season, they expected Nate Pearson to be number Come on. seven. I, 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 they can't really have. I think optimistic yeah. fans thought that, may have thought that, but the organization could uh, not possibly have expected him to, you know, come out of nowhere. No, they, I think they were expecting that, and uh, they were expecting Pearson to to be a significant part of this, right? Because he'd come off, he'd finally had the the surgery to uh, the sports hernia surgery uh, to eliminate the leg issues that had plagued him all last season, and it looked like he was set up uh, to kind of come in and, and be himself and instead he ends up getting mono which knocks him out for a while and then you know he struggles to get back and sort of start looking like himself again just when he starts making some progress you know he, he has the the lat injury he ends up getting a, a prp shot and you know he, he's right back to the drawing board mm-hmm. but you know I, I think the blue jays weren't counting on him to be their six um, they weren't guaranteeing him a spot in the bullpen, but I think they were expecting him to be a part of the mix and and that he would be there if need, he would be an option if needed. Uh, but, you know, I do think from a wider perspective, you know, the point that you made, there was an assumption made or beginning of the season, and there was a belief that the Blue Jays had ample pitching depth. You know, I believe that too when you looked at it. but the way things played out, Pearson fell off the table. Thomas Hatch hasn't been uh, a factor. Anthony Kay wasn't a factor, and then he got hurt. Uh, Bowden Francis, who the Blue Jays thought was on the cusp of being a factor, uh, was exposed and you know really has had a, a tough go of it. Uh, and even some sort of bullpen pieces that the Blue Jays thought could potentially emerge for them, be it Sean Anderson or Kyle Johnston, you know, like, nothing has really shaken out. You know, Thomas Gage has turned into, uh, you know, a bit of a nice surprise for them, uh, but there haven't been really the nice stories. And then you think, okay, well, the Blue Jays thought that, you know, Ryan Barucki uh, would be a, a piece for them. And, you know, instead he was designated for, for assignment, ends up traded to the Mariners. And, you know, it seems that maybe he's finding himself uh, at last in Seattle uh, and, you know, he felt that, you know, he really needed the change of scenery and, um, and clearly the Blue Jays did as well. So they provided that for him. You know, just I think in general, a lot of the assumptions about, you know, how deep the pitching staff weren't there. And, you know, the when as soon as the Hyunjin Ryu injury happened, you know, at that point, it was really clear how thinned out they had mm-hmm. become. And, you know, that was when it, it got exposed. Uh, and then it really started becoming a factor after that. But, and, and, you know, I understand Bob's point about six, seven and, and eight. Um, but, you know, I, I, I look at Gosman and I look at Barrios and go, well, they're pitchers, but they're, they're, they're are they, spe- are they good enough? I mean, their, their numbers are such that, you know, they're both around 500, you know, I, I just, I just wonder if they if if this this group of people put too much stock in 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 trading for and getting and signing quote unquote name pitchers and and those guys haven't really come through for this team. Well, I mean, I think Gosman has been you know really strong throughout the year, uh, and you know he missed uh, obviously he missed uh, a little bit of time, missed the twelve days after taking the line drive off his ankle, but you know he's been as advertised and he's, you know, even if you're, even if you're just looking at it from a value standpoint, he's been better than Robbie Ray has this year. So, you know, I think that that's been a bit of a game, you know, okay. Barrios, but Barrios has underperformed, yeah. but it's been a weird season for him because there are stretches where he's been, you know, untouchable and 
you know, there's sort of been with him and with Kikuchi as well. There's, you know, there's been no middle ground. It's either they're very good or they blow up. And, you know, why there isn't middle ground for those guys, those starts where, you know, they go maybe six innings and give up five runs or, you know, they're able to just kind of fight through that kind of outing. There haven't been a lot of those kind of outings for those two guys. And, you know, why that is, is something the Blue Jays have put a lot of time and resources into trying to figure out. Uh, but, you know, I don't think those assumptions were, were the issue. I think in general, a lot of most teams don't have good six, seven and eighth options. Uh, the Blue Jays, thanks to Stripling, had, you know, one of the best number six options in baseball. I think they just needed him a little earlier than expected. You know, I think there was a hope that they could have gotten a little bit more out of Hyunjin Ryu, that, you know, maybe there would have been a way for him to rehab the injury and not take the, the surgery route. But, you know, the surgery route was the one that ended up being necessary because of the damage in the elbow. And I think that hurt them in, you know, far more than people expected even if on the surface it looks like stripling over you in the rotation ended up being an upgrade. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't agree with uh, John respectfully. I mean, I think like when Barrios and Gaussman were, were signed, well, obviously Barrios was a trade, but, but, then, uh, but he got an extension though, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Sure. Yeah. He did. He got seven year extension. I had no issue with either one of them. And I, I don't know whether shy did. I thought, okay, these are two really top of, you know, top, 20 top 30 pitchers in baseball. Maybe, maybe that'd be a stretch, but these, these are pretty good guys at the front of your rotation. Kikuchi was a completely different situation. I mean, I didn't raise an, a spocky and eyebrow with either of the other two, but when Kikuchi was kind of, well, you know, what do you see in this guy that, that nobody else sees? Um, because you look at his, his stats, his performance, his record, and you say something wrong here. Um, and maybe they can rehab him. And as a fifth starter, you go, well, okay. But uh, I can't, I can't blame the organization for the signing of the other two guys. No, I'm not, I'm not blaming. I'm not, I'm not blaming them for the signings, Bob. I, I just don't think that they have. And and I mean, I understand that everybody's happy with Gosman. I just, I just, I expected out of that those two starting pitchers, and because Manoa and Stripling have done their job that when this team went into a swoon, those are the types of guys that were supposed to stop the swoon. Well, and, they, I, and so there are times they haven't. Well, well Barrios clearly has been um, puzzling and disappointing. Is that fair, Shai? Yeah, I just think it's been a weird season for him. And look, right out of the gate, like you think about opening day and he, he, he isn't able to get in the first in out of the first inning. You know, it was just an off... He, off kilter start. And you know, for whatever reason, you know, like the trademark command, I mean, this guy has been money in the bank for years and years and years. Exactly. Right? And that, you know, for him to be having this kind of season, you know, I asked him about this in Oakland when, you know, he actually did pitch the one game that they won John um, on that road trip <laughs> about, uh, you know, like, you know, what has been this been like for you? He said, like, I've really never experienced for this. This is all, you know, a first for me and I'm trying to kind of figure out um, how to navigate this and, you know, just uh, have to keep fighting through it and keep finding my way. So, you know, this has been a, a really unique season for him um, and for Cosman, you know, I, I know there were a couple starts that, you know, didn't go well for him, but, you know, beginning of the season, you know, he looked about as untouchable as you can be. And, you know, obviously the, the line drive off the foot, yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays seem to be, in some ways, uh, you know, was the 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 first domino that sent the Blue Jays into I that was spiral. Say, emblematic of the season, maybe. <laughs> um, in some ways, yeah, uh, but you know, I think the the piece of perspective that has been lost a lot, you know, because of the. The, the expectations and some of the struggles and, and the ups and downs is that, you know, this team has still been in a playoff spot essentially from the beginning of the season onwards. Right. And yes, expanded playoffs and, and all that, but even if you take expanded playoffs away, you know, they'd be, uh, you know, holding uh, or, or within striking distance of a wildcard spot for the majority of the season. So, you know, they've played, 
well, but they've underperformed their capabilities. And I think that's, that's where, you know, we need to kind of remember that, you know, a lot of things haven't gone well, but a lot of things have gone well for this team too. It's just, you know, there's more to it. And I think that's why there's disappointment. Just on that point, I, I would, I would say uh, there's a bunch of fans out there that look at two other teams as, you know, tent poles, measuring sticks, a, the Yankees and B the Orioles and a, they can't be that far behind the Yankees and B they can't be that close to the Orioles. <laughs> And, okay. and that's so, and that create and that, and and that and that I think that's really created a little bit of this nervousness. I really do. Sure. Well, I mean, the Yankees have just, you know, they, they've had a season to this point, and you know, this Luis Severino injury may be, you know, one of the first cracks in that. But where almost everything has gone right, and and you know, they have had some injuries to their bullpen with Britain Olisaga. Uh, so they've definitely had to make some adjustments there, but I mean, just about everything they've needed to fall into place has fallen into place for them. And, you know, there, there, there's a lot of unicorn in the way things have played out for the Yankees at this point. The other thing, and I've been, I've been saying this for a while and I've been a bit on an Island and people kind of got looked at me like I had three heads, but I actually like some of the position player core that the Orioles have put together. You know, I think they've got so, some nice pieces there. And you started seeing it last year, you know, with, with Mountcastle and Hayes and you knew Richmond was coming and they still have Mancini and uh, uh, Cedric Mullins. They just have some, they have some, some players who are, who are tough. And then this year they've, they've got legit arms in that bullpen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they've got a bunch of, bunch of dudes who are coming out throwing 98 to a hundred uh, and so, you know, they can hang around in games and, and they can be difficult for teams, you know? Uh, so I get that, you know, ultimately we're going to see the Orioles fall back because, you know, of the depth and the attrition that's going to happen. We may see the Yankees normalize a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to be playing seven, close to 700 baseball for, for the whole season. Uh but I, I certainly understand the perception in the moment of, right. of why it looks like that. Uh, last point. Let's look ahead uh, right now. And in the next, what do you got? Two weeks before the trade deadline, something like that. Um, pressure's on the general manager, pressure's on Ross Atkins to see if he can fix uh, as best he can this team. What are you looking for? Is is it the obvious? Is it an arm out of the bullpen or two arms out of the bullpen? And if it is an arm out of the bullpen, can he find a guy who can throw 96, 97? Because that's the piece of the puzzle right now that is really missing is a hard throwing um, bullpen guy. And you talked about the Yankees. You talked about the Orioles. They've got that. Mm -hmm. They've got a bunch of those, you know, almost a hundred or a hundred mile an hour guys out there got to be able to control it. You got to be able to do other things, but that's a piece of the puzzle that the blue Jays are missing right now. Is it not a hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's interesting. I've had a lot of conversations with people about kind of what this team needs to uh, between now and the deadline. And, you know, I do think since, since the Ryu injury, the cons- you know the, the one of the consensus consensus needs has been a starting pitcher, but you know I had someone suggest to me that instead of going the starter route, if you go to legitimate bullpen arms route, and which allows you to push, uh, you know some of your you know seventh eighth inning guys down into those sort of fifth sixth inning roles, and just have a little bit more depth and more options of you know, guys you could use in leverage situations that in some ways might be the, the safer bet for this team. Cause you look at the way, you know, clubs bullpen their way in, in the postseason. you know, that would maybe give them a bit more of an optimal setup, you know, as long as they could find someone to give them the first three or four innings in the, you know, the, that, that fifth spot, that's uh, a bit of a question mark right now. Uh, you know, having a deeper bullpen would allow you to just take care of the rest of the game and be a bit more effective that way. And so, you know, that was a, maybe a bit more of a creative 
outlook in terms of needs. Ultimately, I think the Blue Jays do have flexibility in terms of what they can do. You know, the dream scenario is that maybe you turn one of your, you know, right-handed hitting corner outfielders into a left-handed hitting corner outfielder, uh, maybe one who could also play a bit of center field uh, to help spell George Springer a little bit more often. You know, if you could find a way to condense, you know, Ray Maltapia and Bradley Zimmer into one roster spot, that would be uh, another sort of ideal scenario. You know, maybe, you know, uh, given how the Mariners have gone off, you know, this isn't going to be a factor, but if you can get an Adam Frazier type of player where, you know, it's a left-handed bat who can move around the diamond and contribute in a number of different spots, you know, that would be, that would be a help. Uh, But ultimately, nothing's nothing's getting anywhere if they don't upgrade the pitching and you know i think the dream scenario is you add a starter with some impact and two relievers uh i think if you add one starter of impact and one reliever you can get it done uh but you know there's another pathway there where if you add two impact relievers and then maybe another depth starting piece then you know at that point you're positioned pretty well also i i you know what i focused on there is you mentioning a corner outfielder potentially in, in a deal, and it'd have to be a fairly significant deal. But I have been, you know, I've looked at this, been looking at this roster for over a year now and saying, all right, where are you going to go economically with this team when these young players start demanding 30, 35, who knows how much million dollars a year? There is a limit. And a guy who is, I think, eligible for free agency at the end of next year is your right fielder mm-hmm. and, and your left fielder. Well, yeah, but right he's not going to cost you as much mm-hmm. uh, right now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the left fielder. And I know he is, he was the first guy on everybody else's list. And I always said, ah, uh, this, th- I like this guy. I mean, his defense is iffy um, sometimes, but he can make sensational plays, made a great one last night, but he is, um, He's a real good hitter, and you can get more for the right fielder. Now, I'm not sure how much more you can get right now, given his performance this year, but would you consider moving Hernandez? You know, I think it would, if, if you're getting a, a like value back and it allows you to... Well, of course. Get, so yeah. it, has, it has to be a left-handed right. you, a hitting piece that comes in to help balance out the lineup, then, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at it. I think it's going to be tough for them to pull a deal off that kind of transformative deal off uh, before the deadline. That's really sort of an off season scenario, but you're right about the economic picture, right? You know, Teoscar Hernandez is going to get more expensive, you know, be, be beyond raw stripling. The blue Jays don't have any significant money coming off the books next year. That's right. And, and that's, that's absolutely a factor because, you know, Boba Shett's going to get more expensive. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to get more expensive. Uh, you know, they're, you know, Dang Jansen's going to get more expensive. Uh, you know, it's, they still have got, they still have one more year before Alec Manoa starts getting into the real money. But a lot of these costs are coming. Uh, you know, Jordan, sure they Romano, are. Jordan Romano is going to get more expensive too. So, uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of uh, natural salary growth that's going to occur next year. Uh, and if you can turn Teoscar Hernandez into something, you know, it's hard to replace, you know, guys, you know, batting fifth for you uh, and has the potential to, to oh, be, I get it. Give, give you all-star performance. But you know, when you're looking at areas where you could potentially be transformative, you know, that's one left field is one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would say that the odds are are pretty low of something happening there. I mean, it's possible, but, you know, that kind of transformative deal where there's some sub- subtraction off the big league roster uh, to address other needs, I do think is something that at least is being considered. Yeah, we got to go, but... um the next couple of weeks, I think, will be very um, interesting for this organization to see what uh, the general manager is able to do to at least patch things up, if not fix things up, heading to the last couple of months of the year. Shai, it's always our pleasure. Thanks, pal. Um, interesting yeah. stuff. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting stretch. So yeah, let's buckle up and see what happens. Enjoy the All-Star break.
Thanks, guys. Appreciate Shai it. Shai of Sportsnet. We'll come back after these messages. Our thanks to Shai Davidi for uh, being with us, McCown and Shannon with you. Well, um, it's, you know, the obvious is they, the Blue Jays want to get some bullpen help. Mm-hmm. The problem with bullpen help is if, if you've got somebody good in the bullpen, you're not likely to give them up. Right. Well, unless you're, uh, uh, unless you're one of those 10 teams in baseball that are looking to the future and just trying to, you know, get assets, right? Yeah, and you got to remember the Blue Jays have to give up something in order to get something. You never want to give up your top prospects. And a, you will never give up a top prospect, in my opinion, for a bullpen guy. They're just too unreliable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one year they're great. The next year they can't get anybody out. That's, you know, yeah, the, the, the other thing is that we, we, we spent so much time after dissecting the Charlie Montoya situation. That we, we didn't spend much time on how disappointing the hitting has been. We didn't. Well, the hitting has been disappointing if you look at the first baseman and the shortstop, the two integral pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, Chapman yeah, is as yeah. advertised. You're getting what you should have expected at second base. Um, Hernandez has been disappointing. Center field's fine. Left field's fine. I, I, I think you're really focusing on um, Guerrero and Bichetta, are you not? Yeah, I, I am. I, yeah. And, I, you know, they, you know, be. So when those two guys and I, I've I've been beating a dead horse on this one between the the, the deficiencies that they, those guys have shown plus the lack of the loss of Simeon, this team is not the you know a, a modern version of the Bash Brothers that everybody expected them to be, uh, and and they've had a difficult time. Matt Chapman has been a great at third base defensively, but he has not been able to replace the home runs that they lost at second base with Simeon. They ha- he hasn't. Uh, well, no, but he, he, he had, I mean, Simeon had 47 home runs. Yeah, I know. Right? No, but I mean, but, yeah. but so therefore the expectation. You weren't going to get that from Chapman under any no, circumstances. But, but my point about that then, Bob, is that maybe perhaps the expectations of this fan base, that how good this team was supposed to be, just were not realistic. Just well, were not realistic. Monday, uh, Bruce Cassidy, Vegas Golden Knights. going to be fun to talk to him. We'll, uh, we'll do that. We hope you'll uh, join us for that. Um, have a nice weekend. We'll catch you next week. For John Shannon, Bob McCallum, see ya.